welcome to the Well and Wealthy podcast with your host, Alicia McPherson. I stopped doing ab workouts and now I can see my abs. <laughs> what gives? In this podcast episode, I want to share what I did differently. Okay, and I am someone who used to crush ab workouts, P90X, the V-sits, GHD machines in, in CrossFit classes. I would do three sets of 15 GHD machines. So those are like a, a killer, hyperextended, hyperflexed ab workout. L-sits, cores, weighted cores, planks, almost every session I was doing, I was doing ab workouts. I wanted a strong core for all elements of health, okay? That's, yes, but also I wanted a six pack. <laughs> I wanted abs. I wanted to see my abs. I wanted to wear crock tops and have a flat stomach. Like I wanted that. I wanted to be comfortable in a, in a bikini where my stomach w- was flat and lean and toned. I wanted that, but I always carried this pouch. I don't know. It was inflammation. It was a puff. It felt like an extra layer, almost polar bear weight is what I want to say on my stomach. No matter how many crunches, how many V-sits, how many GHDs, I could do so many that my abs would be burning for days after burning. I did front squats instead of back squats because I knew they impacted your core more. I did everything. I worked on core activation. My core was so unbelievably strong, but I still carried this polar bear extra inch or two of fluff around my stomach and I had heard one of my one of my CrossFit idols at the time she had went on to win the game she was a pretty big deal when I was competing in CrossFit she had said and and her stomach had a bit of a pouch too and she was super fit like this woman was so fit and I remember her saying you know some people just don't have abs and I took that as what was going to happen for me. Like I just, I'm just not genetically blessed with abs. I'm not going to have a lean stomach. This is just what it is. And not that having the abs is the holy grail of all things, but it's what I wanted. And I want to respect what other people want with their bodies, right? What, what you want to create is perfect for you, whether you want a lean stomach, whether you don't want a lean stomach, it's all, it's all beautiful, but that's what I had wanted all the time. And I was putting so much so much effort into trying to get this effect, but it wasn't happening. And I would not just wear my sports bra to train in. And I I used to feel really jealous of girls that could just do that, right? They would, we would be at CrossFit competitions and they'd be, you know, just doing the workouts in their, in their sports bras or in a yoga class, these women would just have sports bras on. And I, I always felt jealous because I always wore tank tops or longer, longer fitting tops because, because of my stomach. I just didn't, I, I wasn't proud of it. I felt I had those, I called them the love chunks, the little love handles, and it just felt a lot more puffy and inflamed. I wanted to wear crop tops when we were, we were, we were doing a lot of festivals at the time. And these girls would wear the cutest crop tops and sparkly things and short shorts. And I wanted to wear that, but I was never comfortable. So it was always more tank tops and, you know, longer shorts. So I, it was something I'd really wanted. And then when I heard from this CrossFit coach that, you know, people just don't get that. Some people don't have that genetically blessed lean stomach. And and I understood that. And that does make sense to me. But one day, one day I had been filming for this yoga challenge and every day you were supposed to go and film a video and, and post it on Instagram. It was before I even started 
my business right before right it was actually right at the time when I was starting to post on Instagram consistently and I was posting me in yoga poses and so I was doing this challenge and I had Kirk taking this this video of me doing this one pose and so essentially the pose is you stand on one foot and then you reach down with your your one hand and you grab the big toe on the same side and then you bring it up so that your your foot is straight ahead of you and you lean your nose down and you touch your nose to your knee okay while you're balancing on one foot and your toe is linked with with your fingers your 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 nose is now at your knee and then you come back up and you stand up straight you're still holding on to your toe and then you bring your your foot and your hand out to the side the same side of your body and so I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but it was an intense pose is basically what I'm trying to get across. It was fairly intense and I was really proud that I could hold the balance of that pose now and I could get my nose to my knee and then I could stand back up again without falling over and then I could bring the the foot to the side all without dropping the foot. I was impressed. So Kirk was filming it for me and then he showed me the video after and I said, are, are, are those apps? Like, do, do I have a six pack? What is going on? And it was just boom, right in front of me there. And he's like, yeah, you do. And I looked in the mirror and I'm like, oh my God, I have, I have apps. This is insane. I remember being so mind blown. I still have that video. It, it shooketh me. And so I had been at this point going through a journey of my hormones and my metabolism, my stress response, starting to, to, understand things and I had been and I didn't realize it at the time but I had actually been creating my weight loss protocol that I run thousands of women through right now but I had been experimenting on myself so I would learn some concepts try it out on my body I would tweak it I tweak it I'd learn some more things tweak it tweak it tweak it until oh this this I feel really good and what had changed for me was a lot more energy I had way better focus and motivation and clarity. I was forgetting a lot. I wasn't able to study for very long. I just felt this uh, this cloud over my thoughts. And so as I was implementing the now principles of my weight loss program, I um I I, I was just feeling so much so much better. And so I just thought, okay, more energy, more mental clarity, that's amazing. I, I feel better, I'm more motivated. But I didn't really think it was impacting my body yet. I guess, you, you know, when you're you're so used to your body, right? Like if you're not taking pictures, if you're not taking measurements, if you're not you're not actually assessing change, it's so hard to, to actually feel the change yourself month to month. This is why our, with our clients, we want to see pictures every month, inches. We want to see the scale, the numbers. Like we want to see that so we have data to go off of. Because just by basing it off a feeling, a feeling will change depending on the stress of the day, what you ate the day before, right? The, the seasons of life. Did you watch the news that morning? Did you sleep well? Like feelings will change as they they do. We're human, but the data doesn't. So I saw that picture and I went, this is, this is really working. I never even thought I would be someone to have abs. This is insane. So here, here's what, what I did before that, that got me to the place that I could see my abs. And so again, your, your goal might not necessarily be to see your abs, but it's what I did to start losing weight, losing fat, I'm going to say, like mostly that fat mass. And in return, or as a bonus, I had more energy, mental clarity, brain, the brain fog lifted, I was happier, I was more motivated. So the first thing that I had done was I stopped intense exercise. So I was the person, and I am not even over-exaggerating this, I was doing two hours of CrossFit sessions every day, 
maybe not Sundays, but often Sundays too. And then I was doing um, in the evening a yoga class, but not just a typical yoga class. It was called Moksha at the time. Now it's, I believe, Moda Yoga. I was doing a 60 to 75 minute hot yoga flow class. Okay. So extensive, right? Extensive. And CrossFit, I was taking it very seriously. I was still a competitive athlete, but my body was craving yoga. Like it, it was almost as if I had this person in my head screaming at me to do yoga. And I was too scared to make the switch completely because I thought I would, <laughs> I would, thought I would turn into a balloon. I know that sounds dramatic, but I did. I thought I would balloon. I thought I would just gain all this weight. I was so scared to stop CrossFit, to stop my, my exercise routine. And then there was one day that my body had had enough. I was getting injured all the time. The workouts were so exhausting. I didn't look forward to them. I was really dreading every workout. And I said, I'm making the switch. And I was really nervous because I was a CrossFit coach and you have an image to maintain as a CrossFit coach. You don't want to be the yogi doing CrossFit. I was worried about what my employers would say and they weren't happy about it, not being the one in the gym training all the time, but I couldn't ignore my body anymore. So I I started to go to Ashtanga yoga. And at that time, I was still doing both yoga and Ashtanga at the same time. Oh, sorry, <laughs> CrossFit and Ashtanga at the same time. Two hours and then an hour of Ashtanga later in the day. And eventually as Ashtanga got more, more and more hard, I slowly peeled back my CrossFit. So I went from the two hours to an hour and a half to an hour to 45 minutes to just a hit, just a quick 15 minute burner at the start of the day until one day I said, what, what would it be like if I just did Ashtanga? Would I be okay? And I gave it a test run a run and I and I tried it out for a bit but I would practice every day to the point one of the teachers said Alicia you you do need to have a day off and I'm like I don't I'm 20 like I don't need a day off so I did that for a while and I was feeling so good about it that I stopped the CrossFit completely I focused on the Shtanga the teachers were telling me my body was changing like one woman stopped me and she said hey you're leaning out so much and it's because you're doing you know, certain poses. Um, and so at that point I, I did rest days on Sunday, right? So I went from seven days of three hours of exercise down to now five, five days and then, um, kind of a half practice on the Saturday and then Sunday completely off. And within, I I guess it it was two or three months of doing this, there were the abs, right? That, that's when I did that yoga challenge and I saw the, the picture, or the video and could see my apps. So it was, in my opinion, from what I understand about female physiology and the stress response now, I was putting my body under so much stress. I was in school doing 25 hours just in class, plus another 10, 15 studying at the end of the, the day on week and weekends. I was now training at the time three hours. I had quite a lively social life on the weekends, Friday and Saturdays, we were, we, we partied. So I wasn't sleeping a lot on the weekends. And then I would get minimal sleep during the week because I was coaching that 5am, 6am class or 6 and 7am. So I was waking up quite early. I was putting my, my body under so much pressure, so much stress that it was holding on to stress weight, like nobody's business, right? My, my stomach was basically a ball of cortisol. That was that hibernation weight. I was just holding on to it. So when I had switched, I, I decreased the intensity immensely going from CrossFit to Ashtanga and 
gave myself a chance to, to rest. Instead of three hours, I was doing an hour, sometimes an hour 15, and I was giving my body a break, and, and that was so beautiful. And even to this day, I've been practicing Ashtanga, just yoga in, in, in general. I, I really love Ashtanga yoga. I've been practicing since, oh boy, it could be 2016, and I still have maintained amazing muscle mass. Now, yoga is, is big on core, right? When you do a chaturanga, when you do any of the poses, you're always activating your core. So I'm still doing core exercises, but they're more full body exercises, and my stress response is just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot lower now that I can, my body is in a place of safety. It's in a place of regulation and it doesn't have to hold on to things for dear life. So that's the first big change that I, I noticed and, and what I did, the action step I took to get that change. Now, I'm not telling you to stop exercising at all. I'm telling you, because I love movement. We go for two 30 minute walks every day. I practice yoga every day, but once a week, right? Five, six days a week, I'm practicing yoga. So. I love exercise. I love movement. There might be a time in my life that I move back into more muscle, like uh, weightlifting stuff or add it to the yoga, depending on how I age, <laughs> essentially. So I'm not saying stop exercising. I'm saying being mindful of the exercise that you're doing, okay? And, and what we assess in our protocols is what's the exercise that you're doing and is it in alignment with your hormonal issues and your metabolic rate and your stress response because this is where women go wrong is they'll be over exercising like crazy when they're in a severe dorsal collapse state and it, it's actually creating more of a stress response in the body so we will pull back the intensity of that so that your body has a chance to heal okay that's the first thing i did the second is i increased protein a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot most women we work with in our protocols our weight loss protocols are under eating protein so it's it's the first thing you got to focus on okay so we will assess someone's target level based on their body composition okay so where is the fat being distributed depends on how much workouts they they do depending on their body type right do we have a puffy appearance do we have a very lean kind of skinny fat appearance or are we more muscle like lots of muscle and so we'll base it off that as well and making sure that you're eating the protein to fuel the muscle mass the hormone production and the mitochondrial health Okay. So I started tracking at first to, to see what am I eating. At the time, I was eating pretty strict paleo. I would say very strict paleo. Probably 95% of my diet was paleo. And the only, the only leeway was french fries. <laughs> and like once a year, I'd have pizza. So I was eating very strict paleo, but I wasn't focusing on the amount of protein I was getting. I actually found I was eating a lot more carbs, which is the next point I'm going to share. So I, I focused on protein. I started tracking protein. I learned how much protein my body needed, how much protein the female physiology needed, and I started increasing that. Okay, the third thing that I did is I really focused in on my carbs. So I learned about my specific carb tolerance. And this is going to be different for, for other people. Right, so we'll have clients come into our protocols and they'll have really good carb tolerance, meaning that they can handle a decent amount of carbs in their day. And this depends on, again, the body composition, right? Where is the fat being distributed, your body type, the amount of workouts that you do, and also your stress response. Okay, so we'll look at that and say, here, you need a lot of carbs or you have a lower carb tolerance or we got to cycle through carbs depending on what we what we assess. So that's something that I did is I had to play around with this for a bit because I, I was starting to, like these concepts, 
I didn't really learn them and I was starting to understand them, how my body takes calories and burns it as fuel. So I was starting to understand how my body was doing that. And um, I noticed that my body was doing a lot better off this lower, lower carb response. Now, the next thing I started doing was intermittent fasting. So what, what is, what I'm very mindful of is you have to be doing fasting in a way that respects your hormones. If you don't, you're probably going to lead to more problems than good. And that's why you'll see a lot of nutritionists or health people online in women's health say, don't fast. Well, I I don't think they're doing fasting, right? And I don't think they're teaching fasting, right? Because there's, there's what we call a femme fasting approach where you are, depending on where you are in your life, if you're menstruating premenopausal, menopausal, there's a different different fasting approach for that. The timeline is, is important when you're fasting, okay? And then also what's super important is that you are getting adequate calories in your fasting window. And as long as that's happen, happening, you're going to get all the benefits from fasting. There's so many benefits from fasting. It helps activate the, the fat-burning hormones. One of the, the main things that actually can really activate fat-burning hormones is fasting. And it comes and regulates a lot of those fat-storing hormones. So it's having a, a fasting approaching, a fasting approach, a fem fasting approach that is specific to your body. And it's what we go through with our, our clients as well. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about today is I really started working on stress and nervous system regulation. Okay, I really, really started focusing on that. And I know it's it's frustrating when someone says stress less. Like, what does that even mean? Right? That's not going to change your perceived stress. That's not going to change your patterns. So I started to understand my stress response a little bit more. For example, looking at what my core wounds are. And I still do this today. So more of a personal share, but today something happened. It wasn't it wasn't overly dramatic, but it had triggered a response in my body. It took me back to a time that sucked. It took me back to fear. It took me back to lack. It took me back to a complete trauma response. And I started shaking. And I kept saying like, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. And we're trying to deal with this situation. And it's it was fine. But my, my body was like reliving a past experience and it was shaking and shaking and shaking and shaking. I kept saying, I'm so cold, I'm so cold, I'm so cold. And Kirk's like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, no, I'm fine. I feel like we're dealing with this, but I'm so cold. And he said, you get like this every time a situation like this happens, it triggers you. And I went, wow, you're so right. And I didn't even, my body was telling me, hey, this is the healing that needs to be done right now. It went into a complete like a visceral response. I was shaking uncontrollably. I had layers and layers and layers on. And then I started to connect to other things that have happened in the past um, where that same response would happen. And I would shake. There, There was once a situation in February where there was a lot of family health concerns happening and it was very scary. It was such a scary time for us and lots of uncertainty, lots of things we didn't know what was going to happen. It was, it was just terrible. And another thing got piled on top of it. And I, I could not control the shaking. I was at Kirk had to put me in the bathtub and I I couldn't, it was like my body couldn't self-regulate. The temperature couldn't regulate. So why I'm sharing this is that's a cue to me that this is an unresolved trauma of mine or an unresolved core wound, that there's something about this situation that is activating 
this belief that I have, this, this wound that I have that's threatening maybe a part of my identity, a part of my life, my livelihood, my safety. It's threatening that and my body is saying, we are not safe. So what I've been working on doing is when I feel these moments and, and sometimes they will be as extreme as a meltdown where you just start crying and you're like, life is hard and this sucks and I, I, like, I don't know if I can continue on this way right? There's moments like that. Sometimes it's little moments where life just feels heavy and you snap at your partner for something. You snap at your kids or you snap at your dog for barking, right? It could be little moments. Maybe it's a subtle, even more subtle response where in the day you grab your phone and you start scrolling because you want to numb, okay? So it's trying to connect these patterns and see what you're doing and then why am I doing it? What's the core wound here? What what do I believe? Why is this activating me so much? And then we can do the real healing once we understand that. Okay, maybe it's just pattern recognition. And so you can say, hey, when this happens, it doesn't mean I'm going to die, right? Because that's what we tend to attach things to. We also have a really strong attachment to it, to our identity, right? Who we believe we are. So for example, if, if you believe, you know, you're this this person in this career let's say you're a real estate agent if you your core identity is attached to a real estate agent that's who you are and let's say something comes in to threaten that or change that or you become on a different path that that can be such a shock to the system because you've attached your identity so much to that person it could be the the wife to your partner right? That's your identity. The daughter to your parents, the uh, mother to your kids, the fur mom to your babies, like the identities like this, we attach so much meaning to them that if something threatens them, that can completely move you into a trigger, a trauma response, a stress response, a numbing response as well. Even if you have a certain image about yourself, like you are the overdoer, you are the perfectionist, you are the people pleaser, you are the type A, you are the successful one. And if something comes in to potentially threaten that, you know, you're getting a lot of alarm bells saying, am I imposter? What if I lose this? I'll lose my sense of identity. And that can be very traumatic, right? So we want to start understanding what those responses are. Like, why did I have that response to this situation and for me it was this person was challenging and threatening a part of my identity and I had been so attached to this identity of being a good girl being um a people pleaser being someone who will do anything for someone else being someone who had a high level of success and credentials and credibility like this this situation was threatening that and to me that was like I can't breathe So I know I have to go do some work around my self-worth in those situations and being able to maybe let go of some of the identities that don't really serve me. Constantly being the good girl and the people pleaser can be great because, you know, I I really want everyone to, that works with me and that comes through our programs and works with our team, I want them to be so happy. I care so much about their success. I care so much. And we have so many avenues in the programs to, to ensure we're, we're catching things. If, if let's say someone doesn't like the coaching, we have ways we're catching it and trying to fix the situation before it escalates. And this really matters to me and elevating the coaching and and the standards of our program really matters to me. And the feedback from clients really matters to me. And I, I take it so seriously, but there's this point where it becomes consuming and it becomes 
um, a part of your identity that you have to sacrifice everything in order to make everybody else happy, even though you've already gone above and beyond, right? And, and I think this is where it gets really risky and we we fall into burnout when we ignore our own mental health and well-being because of a situation that, y- you know, it, it, it wasn't fair, right? If you... If you were asked or expected to, to, to be something or do something and that's not actually what you agreed to, that can be really hard to hold, right? So we'll often cave who we are, what we need as humans and as women to serve other people. And that's where I find people pleasing becomes detrimental to our health. It becomes um, a lot of negative consequences. So what I started to understand here is the nervous and, and stress regulation came down to understanding what my activations were what my triggers were what my core beliefs were and starting to heal those core wounds and honestly it's never ending right you might have a a stress response that maybe you're numbing right now and you ignore it and then the numbing turns to crying and you ignore it and the crying turns to yelling and you ignore it and then you have you have a shaking response like I had right that might happen or all of a sudden a new trigger forms and you've got to deal with that. This is life. We're, we're surrounded by other people and experiences. It's just something we have to continue to work at. And then over time, those triggers won't be a trigger anymore and you'll be able to move through them. And maybe something else comes up or maybe you're in a, in a good spot for a while, but then 10 years down the, the road, maybe something else comes up and it could even trigger, re-trigger a situation from the past and you've got a little bit more healing to do. This whole life journey is just a, a constant healing, regrounding, regulating experience, but we have to understand that and we have to get behind that. And it doesn't mean you're going to spend your whole life in a Buddhist temple or a yoga retreat, little moments in the day. Hey, why did I respond like that? Or what am I doing instead of actually dealing with the core wound? Am I spending time being alone in silence, meditating, right? These, these all matter. Okay. I'm going to wrap that up for today. And I hope that this was useful. I hope it helps. Thank you for being here and listening in and enjoy the rest of your day.